But uh, Pastor Sidney, come. He has the ordination message. He'll be preaching to all of us, but especially to you three. Very, very proud of you. Pastor Sidney, come and minister to the people. Well, good evening. And uh, this is such a precious privilege to me to be able to speak into your lives in this way tonight, you three gentlemen, and uh, to, to all of you uh, that have come out and have been a part of this wonderful evening. So if you would, you can open up your Bible to the book of First Peter and find chapter 5. And before we, before we get into the text, I want to say something to these three men in particular, any ministers that are here. Something that I learned early on that the Lord ministered to me that helped me a whole lot was this simple thing. I have more confidence in the Lord being able to bring through me what He once brought through me than I do in my ability to mess it up. I have more confidence that the Lord will accomplish through me what He wants to accomplish, than I do in my ability to mess it up. See, tonight we're going to talk about fighting, and in particular, fighting to win. Because whether you like it or not, all of us are in a fight. And if you just look around and you look into the world and society where we're at, I mean, you're pretty daft if you don't see that by now, right? And that the lines are becoming clearer and more stark and, and dark is darker and, and light stands out more. And, and I'm just grateful that we're part of a family of God that is the answer to the season that we live in and the time that we live in. And, and you and I were created for this hour. We were made for this. I mean, this is our finest hour yet and it's going to get better. And I don't mean because the price of gas is coming lower. I'm talking about because we're getting brighter. Because Jesus, when He looked at us, He said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And so, not only are we bringing light into the dark places, we're preserving those places for the kingdom. Right? And so, what we need to do and what, what we have to understand is that we're in a fight. Some people go, well, I don't know. I, I'm more of a lover than a fighter. Well, if you won't fight, you're not in love either. Love necessitates that you fight. Right? It's when you love is that you're willing to stand up and fight for something. And, and I trust that you love the Lord enough that you're willing to fight for what He has provided victory for. Right? What He's provided victory for. We are, you know, think of it this way. If you took someone, an MMA fighter, right? And you took him to the ring. And you said, all right, here's the deal. You got to get in the opponent, you, uh, into the ring, and you got to fight this guy. But we've already rigged this. We've talked to the judges, and you're going to win. All right? It's already settled. We've already paid them off, and, and the debt's been paid. You're going to win the fight, but you got to show up, and you got to get into the ring and fight him. But don't worry, in the end, you're the winner. Well, how hard is that? Because see, we get this funny idea that if I get into the ring and if, if I am super spiritual enough, I won't take any blows. I'll stand here. I won't have any black eyes ever. Right? And I'm just going to be just winning all the time. Well, 
like President Donald Trump said, he said he, he thought people would get tired of winning. But see, different than that, we're never going to get tired of the winning, are we? But the thing is, is we step into that ring and then we take a blow. Maybe we find ourselves laying on our back suddenly. Going, whoa, wait a minute, what happened? Now what? What do I do now? Well, step number one, get up. Get up. Alright? Like Paul said, we're knocked down, but not out. So, you get back up because it's not about just this minute. It's about what is coming. So, so if you found First Peter... Actually, before I read that, I'll, I'll quote um, something out of Second Timothy that Paul said at the end of his ministry. He said this, he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So this is Paul at the end of his ministry looking back and he's able to say, you know what? I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. I ran the race and I finished it. I mean, how many of us want to be able to look back and say those same things? But how did he get there? There was a race that was involved. There was a fight that was involved, right? And so we have to recognize that this fight is... You know, the children of Israel got to the promised land and it belonged to them. They had the rights to it. It was given. It was promised. Word of the Lord was to them, it's yours. Go take it. But there was still the taking to be done, wasn't there? They still had to strap on their sword. They still had to cross the Jordan. They still had to obey the Lord and get into the fight and, and do the taking. In 1 Peter chapter 5, look in uh, verse 8. He says here, be sober-minded. I'm reading in the CSB if you're wondering. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Now, well, we'll come back and we'll talk about this. Let's just read the whole verse first. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So we are to be sober. Sober-minded. That's clear-minded. Right? So don't be doing things that alter your state of mind. Right? So stay clear-minded so that you can think clearly. If, if you're going to be taking a substance or doing something that's going to alter your state of thinking that you wouldn't make that thought or you wouldn't make that choice normally, you, you've, you've gone too far into something. Right? Come back out of it. So be clear-minded and alert. Now I like this because this tells me that it's possible to see the enemy coming. If he's telling me be sober and be alert, that means that it's possible that he will not catch me by surprise. That if I'm paying attention and I'm looking around and I'm watching for the enemy, I'll see him coming. And guess what? When you know where the enemy is going to hit you, you've already won a big part of that fight because you know where he's coming. If you're in the ring and the, and the guy's going to swing and hit, you know where the swing's coming from. Well, that's an easy one to dodge. Right? An easy one to duck. An easy one to block. So here he says, be sober. Be alert. Notice the next two words. It doesn't say God's adversary. Your adversary. Your adversary. I like something that, that Apostle Dale said yesterday. He said, you don't have weaknesses. The devil has strongholds. 
Isn't that how you said it? You don't have weaknesses. The devil has strongholds. And we're tearing down those strongholds, right? In the name of Jesus. By the name of Jesus. And bringing victory to that. So be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling. Or the word means walking. Alright? He's prowling around. He's walking around. And interestingly enough, it says that he is looking for someone whom he could devour. He's looking. Why would he be out there searching if you're just dead meat waiting to be had? He wouldn't need to search, would he? He's looking because if you stay hidden under the shadow of the Almighty, he doesn't know where you're at. Where are they? Where did they go? Where did they go? He's out walking around. And the interesting uh, thing here is the word adversary, it holds a particular um, idea. And that is, it, it, it means an opponent in a court of justice. Your adversary, the devil, your opponent in the court of justice is looking. He is searching for someone that he could gulp, gulp down. That's what that word devour means. It means to swallow down. What is it that He's wanting to gulp down? To devour in you. He wants to separate you from your faith. Remember, it's the good fight of faith. If He can separate you from your faith, He's already got a big head start on gulping you right on down like the whale did to Jonah. Right? The good news is, it wasn't over for Jonah, was it? Because we have the victory. See, we're not out trying to establish a victory. We're just enforcing the victory that's already been won for you and I. There's a few other things that we can see here. The devil, he's out there. It doesn't say he is a lion. Did you ever think about that? It doesn't say he's a lion. It just says he's out there acting like a lion. And that he wants to roar like a lion. Now, question, has anyone ever been harmed by a lion's roar? No. It's just a noise. There ain't a lion roar in the world that has hurt anything or anyone ever. But what is he wanting to do? He wants to scare you out of the hiding place. Out of the secret place. Because remember, he's searching. And so, the roar is designed to get you to go, ah, what was that? Oh. And you know how a roar sounds? It sounds like this. Inflation! Or lions will roar and, and they'll say, you know, gas at $6 a gallon! That's the lions we have of today, right? Or war! Or Democrats. That one will scare most people. <laughs> See, the devil's currency is fear. Fear, rebellion, and pride. Those three things are what the devil's currency is and what he operates in. And if he can get you to buy into or receive from that pride, 
I mean, from that fear, it begins to open more doors of access into your life. Because see, if you begin to fear, if you hear the lions roar and you recognize that, wow, things have doubled, things have tripled, the prices of things have gone up, and you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Or maybe, maybe it's not about finances for you. Maybe it's for something entirely different. Maybe it has something to do with relationship. Or maybe it's a health thing. You know, one of, one of the devil's favorite roars is cancer. People, oh, not that word. Not the C word. And they give all this reverence to exactly what he wants. See, in Scripture it says that he's been robbed of the power of death. It never says that he has the power to put people to death, but it does say that he has been stripped of the power of death. Well, what is the power of death? It's the fear of it. That's the power it it wields. And if you're afraid of that, now he can get you to do things in response to that fear. And he gets into the driver's seat. Jesus has something to say about this because, see, most of us are, are wise enough that we would not go out there and just get drunk and start crowding around and partying the nights away. And, and, you know, through the day we sleep it off and then have headaches and hangover. And then that night we're back out partying again, being drunk. We know better than that. Because the Word says not to do those things. But something that's a lot more slippery is concern and worry. Because according to what Jesus said in in Luke, he said it's the same. It'll have the same effect on you as being drunk or hungover. In fact, I'll read it to you in Luke 21, in verse 34. He said, "Be on your guard so that your hearts or your minds are not dulled by carousing." That that word carousing means hungover. That's literally what it means: a headache from being hungover. He said, be on your guard so that your minds aren't dulled from a hangover headache or drunkenness and the worries of life. Or that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. But, here's the the flip side of it, be alert at all times praying so that you can be accounted worthy to escape all these things that are, that are going to take place on the earth. So, when you look at that, realize that worry or fear, afraid of the lion's roar, will have the very same effect on you as if you were hung over, dulled down by a headache. It'll cause you to be not sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord. It'll cause you to miss the thing He would have you do because you were too distracted and preoccupied with the roar that you were hearing off in the bushes. You know the devil wants to steal from you, right? I mean, that's, that's his thing. He wants to steal, to destroy, to kill. Jesus said, you know, I've come that you might have life, but the enemy comes with this sole purpose. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy anything that represents God in this earth. And you're His image bearer. You're His imager. And so when you walk and act like He does, boy, He doesn't like, I mean, like God does, the devil doesn't like that at all. And so here He comes walking, prowling. But the good news is this. His claws have been pulled. His teeth have been filed off. I mean, what are you afraid of? He's going to gum you to death? 
right? So we really don't have anything to fear. I want to mention a few things that the enemy will do, a few of his tactics. You know, Scripture says that we should be aware of his tactics. He has schemes and he has methods of coming at people. And so, while we don't make a habit of studying the devil, one of the principles of winning a fight is to, when you know your enemy, knowing how they act and come at you, knowing that they're going to try to strike you in the place they think is a weakness. Right? But you know better. Because, you know, if you read through Ephesians, you know, you're all outfitted for the war. You got the helmet, you got the shield, you got the sword, you got the breastplate, you know, you got all the tools that you need. And you're ready for this fight. One of the ways that, that the enemy likes to come, that he'll come, is, is he'll be real crafty and he'll try to deceive you with something that appeals to your flesh. Right? He'll do that sometimes with... Um, he'll get you to look at what you don't have rather than at all the things God has done for you. I mean, remember Eve in the garden? You know, the serpent didn't show up and say, Hey, Eve, you guys have all these trees in the garden to eat from. Isn't that amazing? I mean, except for this one. But you got all the others, right? He didn't do that. He showed up and pointed out the one they didn't have. And he'll try to get you to focus on what you don't have. And get your eyes off of everything that's been given to you. So that's one of the ways he comes. Another way he comes is like an angel of light. And he wants to deceive. Because he always is deceiving. right? Even the lion's roar is deceptive. The lion's roar can't hurt you. But he wants you to think that it will. He wants to scare you out into the open. And so the devil comes as an angel of light. Well, he also is an impersonator. That's one of his favorite things. And it's also one of the oldest tricks in the books. I mean, all, most of you have probably done it. Come up behind someone, you know, you dump a little bit of water on them or tap them on the opposite shoulder, and then they turn around and you point at the guy beside you, you know, and they take the fall for it. Well, that's what he does, okay? He, he likes to put off on God what he pulled off and get you to think that, well, that was God that did that. It wasn't him. It wasn't his handiwork. And he'll, one of the ways that whole angel of light thing is, is he, he'll come and he'll quote scripture to you to try to get you off. Because he did that with Jesus up on the temple. Quote Psalms 91 to him. Jump off. You'll be fine. Psalms 91 says you're going to be fine. The angels will bear you up. Of course, Jesus knew enough not to listen to the devil, even when he's quoting scripture. And so he gave him something back. He gave him scripture. So we know that we have an adversary. We know that he wants to destroy us. We know that he's out walking around looking for a due opportunity, an opportune time. He studies you. We know that he's been around for thousands of years. And that's one of the reasons that the devil knows as much how to, because he's seen again and again and again how mankind responds to things. If you do, if I do this, the devil, if I do this, they'll probably respond this way. And so it makes him appear a whole lot smarter than he actually is only because he's been around and seen it, had a lot of experience. But the good news is that you and I, we have access to the one that created him. I mean, not in his fallen state, but I mean, on his best day. 
His Creator is our dad. And so, we read in the Old Testament, you know, where, where Satan has been stripped, and they're all standing around looking at him, and they're going, Who's this? Is this the one that terrorizes the nations? Is he the one? Really? That, that's all? Because see, he's blown up into this big boogeyman that he's not. One of the things, now I want to talk to you about how to win. Okay, so now we know that the devil's bad. I don't think you were confused in that to begin with. But the devil's bad, God's good, we need to win. What, what are ways to secure what Jesus has established, the victory He's established for us? What are ways for us to, to take that? And to, to, to walk it out and to experience it and not get knocked down and be, be, just give up. In Isaiah 54, it tells us how. Okay? Isaiah 54, 17, it says, No weapon formed against you will succeed. And you will refute any accusation raised against you in court. Satan's called the accuser of the brethren. Right? And in Revelations, it says he was kicked out of heaven. He came to the earth. He says, actually, it says woe to the earth because he's hacked off. And he knows his time is short. And so he's going to take it out on those who are the children of the Most High. So he comes down and he puts this bullseye on you if he can find you. Because remember, you're staying hidden. Right? He can't find me. And if he does find you, what do you do? Well, when he comes and brings that accusation against you, you tell him, nope. You tell him who you are, whose you are. You talk to him about the blood of Jesus covers me. You take authority in the name of Jesus. And you're going to open up your mouth and you're going to refute those accusations. Now the rest of the verse says this. It says this is the heritage. This is the, the, the heritage of the Lord's servants. And their vindication, their righteousness is from Me. Alright? So, if you want to win a fight, you're going to have to open your mouth. Earlier today, Apostle Dale said this. He said, you run at the enemy with your mouth going. Right? Don't run silently at the enemy. But be declaring things. Be saying things. Go over to First Timothy if you would. We'll come back to First Peter and close there. But right now, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. I want to look at a few things here. We're, we're talking about winning. Fighting to win. It says, fight the good fight. Well, like we heard, well, I guess not all of you would have been here for that. So, um, Dale was talking about what, what's the good fight? Well, the good fight is the one you want, right? When you're looking back and telling the grandchildren stories about that fight, Man, we were in this thick of it. And man, I mean, it was an all-out brawl. And you know, we just got beat to a smithereen. We got, I mean, absolutely trashed. But it was a good fight. Would people say that? No. That's not the good fight. That was a horrible fight. Man, we tried, but we got our tails handed to us. Right? That's not a good fight. The good fight is the one that you go, man, we handed their tails to them. Boy, it was a good fight. Why was it good? Because we won. Right? We won. Well, here he says, fight the good fight. What kind of fight is it? Well, it's a fight of faith. It's a fight of faith. Take hold 
That means it holds a very strong idea of laying hold of something. Gripping, grabbing, taking something. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession. Turn to your neighbor and say, good confession. Make a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. See, never speak words that would make the enemy think he's winning. That's not a good confession. Don't say words that the enemy goes, oh, I'm winning. Because see, he can't read your thoughts. The devil doesn't live inside you. The greater one lives inside of you. He can present thoughts. He can present ideas. But he can't read your thoughts. So the only thing that he can know is by observing you. And what is he saying? What is she saying? You know, last Thanksgiving, we were back in Missouri at a family reunion. and. Um, some of my nephews, you know, they like to uh, try to see if their strength matches their uncles now, and they're like 14, 15, and, and so we're all there in the living room, and, and they're, you know, wanting to arm wrestle and different things, and so finally I made some comment about, well, we should have a planking contest, and you, you know what a plank is? It's where you get down on your toes and on your elbows, and you, you're straight like a board, and you hold that position for, you know, a minute or two or however long. And it becomes really, really tiresome. Now, if you want to make time stand still, do planks. Well, so one of them said something about it. And so I'm like, all right, let's do it. So we get down, my boys and, and three of my nephews and myself. And I'm not sure, maybe even you joined us. My wife joined us for a little bit. Or for a while, actually. I think you... <laughs> I, I, what place did you take? Yeah. So, so third place? Yeah? Okay. So here's what happens. We get down there, and immediately, my nephews all start talking themselves out of their victory. And my boys. You know, because their strength doesn't match dad's, and, and they just know dad's going to win, and my nephews, yes, Sid's going to win. And, and they start to talk themselves out of their victory. And so I figured, well, this is working out good for me. I'm going to help them. So I would say things to him like, we're there, we're there for a couple minutes. I mean, we went for over five minutes. And, uh, and I won. But here's why. Because I would look at them and I'd be like, well, you act like this is hard. What's wrong with you? You know, come on. We could do this all day, all night. Come on, we haven't even begun. And you act like this is... And in their mind, they're going, oh, he's not even tired at all. This isn't even affecting him. They don't know that I'm dying on the inside. <laughs> And like, would they just please quit so I can quit? But to listen to me and to look at me, they don't know it because I'm not giving away what I'm really, how close to being beat I am. Instead, I'm telling them that, you know, we're going, but come on, we can do another minute, right? And if you've done a plank for like three minutes and someone says that to you, oh, that's mean, you know. Like another minute, that's an eternity and a half. And so... In the end, I win, and they, they're lighter than me. I'm holding up a lot more weight than them. I'm pretty certain that if they wouldn't have been in their own head, they could have beat me, right? But I'm not letting them know with the words that's coming out of my mouth where I'm at on it. Why? Because we're going to make our confession be a good confession. 
a good confession. And when the enemy thinks, oh, I got him now. Boy, I got a really good lick on him. And you're standing there just quoting a good confession. Oh, well, that's disheartening. When you think you've given them your best blow and they're like, what was that, a mosquito? Right? Hebrews 3 says this. I'll read several verses and then I'll just go through Hebrews and I'll just read verses so you can listen. Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the Apostle and High Priest of our confession. If you want to win a fight, you have got to get a hold of your mouth. And you need to speak what the Word says about you because you believe it. Not to try to get yourself to believe it, but say it because you believe it. He goes on later, he says in in verse 6, he says, Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that household if, everyone say if, if we hold on to our confidence and hope in which we boast. The hope in which we boast. So if it's a good faith fight and the devil wants to separate you from your faith, See, he wants to erode your confidence away. Verse 14, For we have become participants in Christ if we, again, hold firmly until the end the confidence we had at the start. The confidence that we had back at the beginning. Because when we all went down for that plank in the beginning, oh man, there was, you know, right in, oh, everyone, yeah, we can do this all day for the first 10 seconds. But after you've been standing and fighting and, and being in faith for uh, days and weeks and months, suddenly, now we're talking an endurance thing. Right? So keep your confession right if you want to win. Hebrews 4.14 says this, Therefore, since we have a great High Priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. There it is again. So what are you confessing? See, here's the thing. Just stop accepting the results of a fallen world. Just stop putting up with that. And accepting that as, oh, home, here we are in this broken down world. You know, use the name that was given to you. You, let, let, let your confession be of the name of Jesus and of the victory that He has given to you. Your confession is one that, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The greater one lives in me. He perfects that which concerneth me. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and death in your best blow, devil. And you just go right down the list in your confession, the good confession's coming out of your mouth and something else is happening. Your ears are hearing it and faith is welling up on the inside of you and you just get stronger and stronger and you're taking back ground. And you're winning and you're fighting. I remember growing up in a small town in Missouri. I had uh, my grandparents had, had were well known in our community, and they had a good name. You know, the Rop name was known in our whole town. Everyone knew that that they were a people of excellence. And so I had certain rights and privileges in my town that someone else may not have had because of the name that I had. And I could go into stores. And, you know, I could order whatever I wanted, whatever it was, auto parts store, didn't matter. And I could just put it on grandpa's account. And they would mark it down. And, you know, that was back when credit cards were rare. 
And so most places you'd either do checks or they'd send you a bill, you'd just buy it on credit, and then once a month send them a bill. Well, I would go all over town, I would do business, do whatever needed to be done, and I was 16 years old, I was working for my grandpa, and um, the mayor came to me because they were friends of my grandparents. And uh, he, you know, they said, well, listen, if you ever get stopped or have any trouble with the police officers in town, you just bring that to us and we'll take care of it. So I have a get-out-of-jail-free card because of the name that I have. Get-out-of-jail-free card. This is a good thing, right? I mean, I'm sure there would have been limits to it, but you know, they knew that they knew us and they, they also had confidence in us. Well, along comes a time I get a speeding ticket. And um, I pay it. And the mayor's wife says to me one day when I'm in a store and she sees me, she says, hey, I saw coming through the system here recently. You had, you had a ticket. Why didn't you bring that to us? I would have I taken care of that for you. And I'm like, well, you know, I know you would have. You told me that, but I deserved it. Because I was speeding, you know, and I did do that. Well, yeah, I know, but, you know, the next one, you bring it to me. You know, I got several tickets and never took them to her because I was agreeing with my accuser. You're guilty. You sped. Yeah, that's right. I did. And the get out of jail free card, I completely didn't use it because I was too dumb to use it. Because I just agree with my accuser. Yeah, that's right. But see, some of you, if you want to win, you have to stop agreeing with the accuser. Yeah, I know you did it. Yeah, I know you deserved it. Yeah, I know you blew it. But guess what? The bill's been paid. There's someone who said, I got this. And if you want to win, you're going to have to have the good confession and stop agreeing with the accuser. Right here, I was letting what the privileges that I had available to me because of my name, because of my good name, were just going to waste because I wasn't enforcing it. I wasn't using it. Because after all, I deserve what's going on. I did this to myself. Now, if I would have been stopped and I hadn't been guilty, oh, you better believe I would have went in there because I didn't do it. Well, yeah, wouldn't we all? But see, it's when, when you have done all the wrong things and now you're in the fight and you feel like you're losing, and it's my fault that I'm losing, the good confession. The good confession. The greater one lives in me. The blood of Jesus removes all sin. All unrighteousness from me. And I'm His. And I stand in His presence and in His courts, right? And I refuse all these accusations. They don't belong to me. See, as long as you continue to plead guilty to the crime, God's limited in what He can do for you. I remember um, we had a police officer. One night I, I rolled a stop sign. And, um, you know, I wasn't trying to run the stop sign. I just wasn't, didn't come to a full stop and hiding in the shadows of the police officer. And he sees it and he stops me. And um, 
in those days, and in Missouri, they would take you up and set you in the car while they would write out your, uh, your traffic ticket. And so I'm sitting there, and he's writing out the ticket, and he's almost done. He's just filling in the last couple of blanks, and, and I'm just sitting there, yes, sir, no, sir, you know, waiting for him to be done. And I happen to notice his name badge, and his name badge, his last name was Holcomb. Now, my grandparents' neighbor was Dean Holcomb. And so I said, are you, are you related to or do you know who Dean Holcomb is? And he stops and looks at me like I'd slapped him, looks back down at my license that was on the top of his clipboard, looks back at me, and he said, yeah, I know him. He's my brother. He said, you, are, are you related to Emery? That'd be my grandpa because he's seeing my last name, right? It's just the, the light's coming on for him. Are you related to Emery? I'm like, yeah, he's my grandpa. He said, oh, man. He said, Dean thinks there ain't a better neighbor in the whole world than your grandpa. I said, yeah, that's how my grandparents feel about Dean too. I mean, Dean has really been an amazing neighbor. You know, all the years they've lived there and, and we've just really enjoyed them and their family. And so that's really cool that you're his brother, you know. He's like, oh man. He looks back at the ticket on his clipboard that has already been filled out and he pulls it out and tears it up. He said, I can't give you a ticket. And uh, I said, well, that's not why I brought it up. You know, I just, we really like Dean and I saw your last name. He goes, yeah, I can't give Emery Rob's grandson a ticket. He said, so you just, I tell you what, you slow down and you, you, you know, obey the law and uh, this never happened. He said, because we really think the world of your grandpa. Now, it wasn't my doings that just got me out of that situation, was it? It was someone else's name that I have now is also my name, Rob. It'd be nice if that's where the story ended. But about a week or two later, <laughs> I come into town late one night and um, I'm flying on a back street and oops, sitting up one of the side street, there's the Christmas lights came on. Here he comes, some police officer. Man, I sure hope it's not Dean, you know, Holcomb, Mr. Holcomb. And so I pull over and I'm driving a different vehicle this time. And uh, he comes up behind me. Like I said, it's dark, so I can't see who he is until he gets out of the vehicle and gets in front of his headlights coming to my vehicle. I'm like, oh no, it's Holcomb. And he just let me off like a week or two ago because of my name and because of who I am. And now here, I didn't keep my end of the bargain right to obey the law and here he's stopping. This time, you know, it wasn't just a simple roll and a stop sign. I was going fast. And as he comes up to my window... Don't do this. Immediately plead guilty to the crime. When you realize you've blown it and the accuser shows up, you keep your confession good. Right? You can talk to the Father and you can say you're sorry to Him and you deal with it all on that level, but you leave the accuser out of it. So as soon as He comes up to my window, before He can even say anything to me, no, actually He did say something first. He goes, not you again. And I say, just go get me a ticket, please. I deserve it. Just go write me up. That's what I said to him. Because see, I just feel better if I get to pay the fine. Because I deserve it. That isn't how you win fights. He goes, no. I'm not writing you a ticket. I'm grateful for that. Because that's not how the devil acts, is it? He'll write you four of them. I said, no. Uh, he says, no. He says, I don't want to write you a ticket. What I want is for you to slow down and be safe. I said, sir, 
I will never speed in this town again. <laughs> that is true. And I didn't. I still don't. I obey the law when I go to Seymour. The rest of the county is another subject. But you know, that did more for me. That mercy that He showed me did more for me than a hundred tickets would have. But don't disqualify yourself by your confession, by having a bad confession. Hebrews 10 says this in verses 22 and 23. I'll read a few verses here. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Without wavering. Since He who promised is faithful. I don't care how many times you fall down or feel like, man, I'm losing the fight. You keep your confession right. You get up and you fight again because you're going to win. Because He's faithful. Verse 35 says, don't throw away your confidence which has great reward. For you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Verses 38 and 9. But my righteous one will live by faith. See, it's a fight of faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed. The devil walks around looking for those who he can destroy by separating them from their faith. But we don't draw back. We're not those who are destroyed. Instead, we're those who have it says faith and are saved. Faith and are saved. So position yourself for victory with your mouth. Go over to James chapter 4 and we'll look at a few more Scriptures here in closing. In James chapter 4, it talks about a position that you have to have in order to be victorious. In, in verse 7, James 4, 7, says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the positioning that you have to have, I called it earlier, you're in the shadow of the Almighty. You're hidden under the wing, as it says in Psalms 91. But the way to be there is to be submitted to Him. When the Lord asks you to do something, tells you to do something, you submitted to Him. You know, for some it takes them longer than others, but in the end, you're submitted to Him. And when you submit to the Lord, <clears throat> see, su submitting isn't a popular word today in our culture. Because people think that we've been delivered from that, <laughs> but, but we haven't, right? And what you, what you, um, yield to or what you submit to has authority over you. Okay? And so when you submit to the Father and to His will and to His plan for your life, His authority now comes down on you and flows through you. And when you're submitted to Him, you're standing in His authority, in His power, in His might. And that's why it says, now it says, now fight. 
Resist the devil and he's going to run from you. Flee from you. But you're going to have to fight. So we, God's not going to do it for us. You're submitted to Him and now in His authority, in His might, my confession sends the enemy packing. Jesus knew that. That's why He says in uh, John 14, He said the ruler of the world would be the devil. The ruler of the world's coming, but He has no power over Me. And He says why? He says, because just as the Father commanded Me, so I do. See, He's submitted to the Father and now He walks in the authority that's been given. And so the devil's got no place in Him. So resist the devil and he will flee from you after you've submitted yourself to the Lord. Let's go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5. And now let's go look at verse 5. We're going to, instead of read, taking just the verse 8, let's read it in context. We're talking about winning the fight. There is a fight. He's going to come at you from multiple angles. He's studied you your whole life. Or Him and His spirits. But none of that means anything. Because the greater one lives in you and He's come to destroy the works of the devil. So His best efforts just fall like ashes because you refuse to quit because you've got endurance. Your confession stays producing the results that He has already established for you. Verse 5, In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time. That's you submitting to Him. And He exalting you is His authority becoming yours. Verse 7, cast all your cares on Him. Now we're dealing with the fear issue. Cast all your cares on Him because He cares about you. Be sober-minded. Be alert. So there are several things that you're supposed to do. right? You're going to submit to the elders. You're going to clothe yourself with humility. You're going to humble yourself in verse 6. You're going to cast your care and fear and worry upon Him. You're going to be sober-minded. You're going to be alert. Says your adversary, the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Someone say he cannot devour me. Verse nine. Now those verses are your protection. Verses five, six, and seven. That's your protection. Do those things, and you'll walk in victory. Verse uh, verse nine. Resist him. Now we're to the fighting part. Resist him firm in the faith. It's the good faith fight knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the whole world. The good news is, is if, if you would read and you see in Scripture where it talks about all the armor, the full armor of God, and that, you, that it gives you all the different things to do, and your, your weapons, what they are, all of it. But how many would like to go into an MMA ring with all this armor and a sword, and the other guy's just got darts. And all, and you've got a shield. Right? You've got a helmet, you've got armor, you've got shield, you've got shoes, 
I mean, you're ready for battle and the other guy is standing there with some darts. It's not going to be a fair fight. Right? Resist him. Firm in the faith. What does it mean to be firm in the faith? It means that, you know what? I am who he says I am. I am winning this thing. He has made me more than a conqueror, not an undergoer. Not a getter, beater, upper. No, He has made me more than a conqueror. He has said that I should reign like a king in life. That I should reign with Him in life. That's here. That's now. That's not later. So that means you're going to have the victory. Your confession is good. You're firm in the faith. You're refusing to back off of it. Verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To Him be dominion forever. I'll leave you with this. How does a king reign? A king reigns with his mouth. He gives an order, and the orders get carried out. He gives an order, a command, an authority, and expects it to be accomplished. So reign with your mouth. Okay? Speak from the Word, and allow it to the living Word, the sword coming out of your mouth, to enforce the victory that Jesus has already established for you and belongs to you. And is yours. Hallelujah. Glory. How we doing, Bob? You have anything? Somebody had some. No, but praise the Lord that the Lord's with them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Are you blessed this evening? Hallelujah. You know, I forgot one thing to ask. Do we have the two gentlemen on their way to Ukraine with us tonight? We got Anthony and Logan. Jay, grab them and bring them up here. Hey, folks, these two uh, gentlemen are on their way tomorrow to uh, Bucharest and Come on up, Jay. They're uh, going into a war zone. Is, as we would say, relatively safe. All right. Um, They'll spend some time, I'm not prophesying, but they'll get to know the bunkers and the basements very well. And uh, we want to keep them in prayer. As we, anyone we send over, we bring them back. Amen. Why don't we all stand up, stretch your hands towards them. And Jay, put your hands on them. Pastor Bob, come and minister to them. And Pat, you want to come up and lay hands on them? Father, we bless these men and their hearts. We read the scripture Lord, tonight that, that you uh, recorded of how anyone who forsakes house or lands or wives or family for your sake in the Gospels would receive a hundredfold now in this time. Well, now isn't when they get back. Now is, starts now. And what I just said now was a little while ago. Now is 
is current. And we just ask you to bless them. Give them the peace of God that they're in the right place at the right time. Warn them should they make changes supernaturally. Lord, I'm asking you for a shield of favor about them to protect them in Jesus' name. And I thank you that as their hands are willingly offered to serve and bring food to the hungry and medicine to the sick and the wounded and a word of encouragement to him that is weary, we bless you and honor you for that. Thank you for them, Lord. You want to pray anything out, Jay? Father, I just thank you for the willingness of their hearts to go. And Father, that we find a multiplication of men like this, men willing to leave and forsake all, and they're also willing to then receive a hundredfold. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The leadership of the Spirit is going to become so tangible to both of you. What I refer to is the Spirit of seeing and knowing. And as you trust the Holy Spirit within you, as you trust Him, He not only will warn you, but He'll also reveal to you what lies ahead so that you're prepared. You're not taken off guard because what I've seen when, when Jay was praying for you earlier here is I felt like there was a fresh oil coming upon your eyes to be able to see clear. That your ears were going to become more sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but also you're going to become sensitive to the warnings that you will become very familiar with in the days that lie ahead. Warnings that you'll sense that inward witness if you know what I mean that you'll sense that that still small voice that will lead you that peace that umpires your heart so guard your hearts and understand that that peace is a great is a great umpire and when it's not there take the time to ask him and I believe in those in those quiet moments of your heart you're going to know things you're going to see them, and you're going to know them, and you're going to know what to do. Amen. You can be seated there. I uh, Yeah, give the Lord a hand. But I think sometimes it's necessary so that when two men uh, go into harm's way, and I won't make light about it, you know, uh, it's important they're covered in prayer. It's important that we know God's called us to this. This is not tourism. It's, it's not even what I would call short-term missions. This is being obedient to the Lord on assignment because He called Church of the Word International to do this. And that's why we do it. And that's why we had divine appointments from the beginning. I mean, I just look at Alex every time and I just smile. Because how God divinely puts things together. Amen. And I know if we follow that flow, we'll always be in his safe hands. Can you say amen? 
It's a, it's a powerful message, Pastor Sidney. Thank you for sharing that and uh, kicking off the landmark and the theme of spiritual warfare and war in the spirit. Congratulations, gentlemen. Very proud of you. Now get to work. Amen. We expect great things in reporting back from Ukraine. And we love you. Tomorrow we begin again at 1 p.m. Pastor Bob's going to lead us into the throne of grace and prayer and intercession. Hope to see you tomorrow at 1. God bless you as you go. Be sure to fellowship with one another and love on one another. Amen. Well, good evening. Can I ask you to rise to your feet, lift your hands above your head and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. It's landmark. Woo. <laughs> Elbow your neighbor and say, welcome to landmark. 2022 it's 2022 look at you guys on the front row so proud of all of you glory to god well listen one way we love god's by loving one another so turn around shake somebody's hand hug somebody's neck love on one another introduce yourself to somebody tell them your name ask what is your name Love is here. Jesus is here. We're so glad you're with us tonight. Praise the Lord. Well, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we come into your presence tonight, Lord, for all of the purposes that you intend for us, all of the things that you desire to do in our lives all of the miracles, all of the impartations, all of the revelations, all of the refreshing, the restoration, the renewing, the strengthening, <laughs> everything that you intend to do this week in our lives, we release our faith right now. For ourselves, for our neighbors, for our loved ones, for our friends, for those that are here tonight and those that will come in in the, the next few days. Lord, we ask we to set apart this week for a landmark that will not be forgotten, for a landmark in what you choose to do in these lives will, will like have a rippling effect from shore to shore. We, we extend our faith. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, let the high praises of God be in our mouths. Like a two-edged sword in the hand of a valiant, valiant soldier. Let the high praises of God be in our mouth. Say this after me, Lord. I, I'm thankful that you never fail me. You promise never to leave us or forsake us. We believe your word, Lord. 
Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Just lift your hands again. Tell Jesus, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for me, Lord. Oh, Ramayedo Rabashtesho. Glory, 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 glory. Glory, 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 glory. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you're so good to us, Lord. Well, turn to two or three people and tell them you're never going to be the same again. Then you may be seated. Never going to be the same again. Praise the Lord. Whew. Amen. Well, we're, we're so, so happy to see everyone here tonight. And uh, so blessed to know that <clears throat> the Lord's brought you to an appointed place. Aren't the landmarks just getting to be more and more amazing every year? Uh, a landmark, by the way, somebody says, some of you might not even know where you are. How many of you, this is the first time you've been with us at a landmark? Raise your hand up real high. Everybody look around. Lord, bless them. Thank you for being with us. Sometime way back in the 80s, we started holding special meetings, and the Lord told us to call them landmarks. And, uh, you know, it's a nice name, but what's it mean? So I opened up the Webster's. You know, God already knew what it meant, right? <clears throat> and uh, Webster says a landmark is a firmly fixed object from which you uh, can orient yourself. It's a landmark. How many of you know what God does this week is going to help you orient your life and serving Him and ministering for Him? Amen. Use it as a time of self-examination. Use it as a time to receive from the Lord and be refreshed. Renew your vision. You know, sometimes your vision gets a little faded or a little unclear. You're, you're not sure you're striving for the purpose that you used to. Well, Landmark can help refresh that, stir up the fire of God on the inside of you. Webster has a second definition. It's also <clears throat> a high point over a period of time. You know, it's good to have a slugfest out there on the mission field, but it sure is nice to come home with brothers and sisters and just, just have a good time. Amen? We want you to have a good time. My wife and I, our, our desire at the Landmark, particularly for those Armada members all scattered all over the place, you know, we want you to have a place where you can come, fellowship, talk to others who are of like mind, like spirit, like faith, cry on everybody's shoulder, and uh, get a really good case of PTSD going. This morning we taught on PTSD. I've been diagnosed with it recently. 
praise the Savior daily. Amen. And somebody said, aren't you afraid you offend someone who really has PTSD? Well, how do you know I don't really have it, number one? And, and you ain't going to find a better cure. Amen. Amen. Praise the Savior daily. Glory to God. And so we want this to be a refreshing time. We also have some, some special guests we want to recognize. It's always fun to make sure everybody knows everybody. Amen. Probably uh, 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 be appropriate to say who came the furthest. And I think, I think probably the Mills family won it again. They always win. <clears throat> Larry and Kay, and the Mills fans, stand up. We, everybody, this is the this is our turkey contingent. Although I don't know, maybe you came from Tulsa, so you're cheating. I don't know. Larry, Larry and I, Larry and Kay and I met. Uh, we just figured out it's literally 30 years ago, and uh, heard him preach a sermon. And uh, here he's still hanging around. Praise the Lord. I'm still hanging around. Glory to God. We also have some very, very dear friends of ours. Uh, uh, I've also known for way back in the early 80s. Uh, uh, Pastor David and Barb Landis are with us back there in the back corner. So everyone say hello to them. Really good to see you guys. I'll tell you what, just refreshes me. We lost track of David after some years, and I remember I was in a, Terry and I were sitting in a little leadership conference in Maryland or uh, Maryland or Delaware, I forget what it was, and we were in between the sessions, and we are just sitting there, and uh, actually, you drug us down there. It was, some, it was your, your folks. Where was that, Delaware? Yeah. And we're sitting in there between sessions, and uh, I don't know why. I've just been praying in the Holy Ghost. Some of you that were in the meeting this morning will understand I've been praying the Spirit, and all of a sudden I turned to my wife and I said, whatever happened to that fella? What was his name? <laughs> David Landis. And she looked at me and says, I don't know, but there he is. <laughs> he walked through the door right as I said it. And uh, so we re got reacquainted, and God bless what the Lord does. Aren't divine appointments fun? Yeah. Amen. We also have a lot of our board members at, uh, for Church of the Word International are with us. Why don't you stand up if you're a board member, Church of the Word International. Come on, stand up. Here you are, here you are, here you are. Yeah, who are we missing? I guess we got them all, my wife. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah, and Bill, actually. Praise the Lord. We really appreciate each of you and what you do to serve CWI. Pastor Bill Hake, the dean of Armada Commission, couldn't be with us tonight. Uh, we've been we've been praying. I know most of us are in faith on that. Those of you that haven't heard, add your faith to ours. We're in agreement. Uh, he's been fighting the fight of faith with his physical body, and uh, just just recently had a little bit of a setback. He's he's fighting not just for his healing. He's fighting the incompetence twice now of doctors that have uh, done some nasty. So uh, we just come against that in the name of Jesus. and uh, We wish Bill could be with us tonight, especially because he's the dean of our school. He's, he sends his love to you, you gentlemen. And uh, you'll find out that you're actually only half graduated because you only have my, my, only my signatures on the, the diploma. So you're going to have to probably mow Bill's lawn 
or or deliver groceries or I don't know what you're going to have to do to get that signature, but until then, you're only halfway there. <laughs> it's good to have fun in the house of the Lord, isn't it? It really is. And uh, then we also want to, Bill is also a part of that. We want to let everybody know we have the, the corporate board meeting, which is Church of the Word International. And uh, then we all have our pastors on there too, as, as uh, Jay pastors in Colorado and Sydney pastors here. Uh, but then we also have what we call the presbytery. Now, the, the presbytery gives spiritual oversight to the ministers so that when someone has a problem with, with a minister, they, they can go over their head, so to speak, if it's necessary or if there's a moral failure or a financial failure or a doctrinal question. We've got some really good men. You, you, you might say in one, one case elders or senior elders. And uh, that's uh, Brother Bob over there we'll mention first. And then Pat, uh, once the two of you stand up, uh, both dear, dear friends of mine for a long, long time. And uh, give them a hand clap because <clears throat> they carry a lot of trust and a lot of responsibility. They make the decisions on ordinations. They make the decisions on yanking an ordination or restoration. And uh, we, 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 we love you both. And of course, Pastor Bill as well. Amen. And uh, I, I think then we also want to mention before we move into the graduation, many of you are aware that uh, the turn of the year, uh, a, dic a dictator, another spirit, demonic-filled man has come upon the scene. History seems to repeat itself. And uh, we're now at war. And uh, you know, most of you know I have close ties for the last eight years with the country of Ukraine and, and the pastors. By the way, we have someone from Ukraine, so... Uh, although the Mills family won, Alex wants you stand up. And uh, everybody <laughs> needs to know that Alex Chorney, is, uh, he's now here, and uh, we're pretty close to getting him a visa, and he'll, he'll be legal. Uh, until then, don't let... <laughs> he wants a beard and a buggy. Yeah. Well, you going to trade in that Passat? Okay. And uh, so we're 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 at war. Uh, Ukraine is at war with Russia. Uh, from American media's perspective, from Russia's perspective, Russia is at war with NATO and the United States. You you don't really get that on the news here. So we're we're in a, a trying time. And back in February, <clears throat> I. Uh, was pacing like a lion in my house because I'm hearing, you know, this church is raising money to put tin cans in a container and they're going to spend a million dollars on a charter airplane to fly these meals over to Ukraine and it's going to take 90 days. And I, 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 I just had this burr in my saddle. I was pacing and I thought, Lord, we got to do things faster. I need, you know, we got to get, we got to, we got to do something faster for millions of people that are running away from their homes that have been completely destroyed. Nothing left. And I had a couple ideas boiling around, and and so I, I always, 
use my wife as a sounding board and she was throwing things at me and started to gel in my spirit and uh, I, I literally was pacing like a lion. I was ready to go run a mile or something outside, you know. And I got it in my heart to call Jay. Don't know why. It just popped into my spirit. So I called Jay and we talked for about an hour and he, I talked, he listened, and by the time we were done, we created the concept of the ten men. And it's pretty simple. Uh, we just need ten men who will give ten days with $10,000 in their pocket. Ten men show up with $100,000. All the food's there, isn't it? All the medical supplies are there. We don't have to spend a million dollars to ship it over. I was talking to Sydney today. I, I just don't understand some Americans. They're, they're literally reading the same newspaper. And it's, I, don't, I don't know what's wrong with them. They're either ignorant, stupid, or just not reading. But one column says we've got to send food to Ukraine and let's send a million meals. And the next column says uh, the world's going to starve because Ukraine has all the food and can't export it. In the same newspaper. Uh, Ukraine don't have a food problem. You don't need to spend millions of dollars to send food to Ukraine. You do need to spend some money on fuel to distribute it, which means you got to trust pastors. And so 10 men was, was established with the first premise that we go over there to serve the pastors and empower the Ukraine pastor to do what he's already doing. That, but their garden is now empty because they, they raided their own personal garden to fill their trucks and, 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 and to deliver food as well as to rescue people out of active combat zones. And I mean active combat zones. I sit with pastors and for, for, you know, if I get through a day without weeping, it's a good day. You know, we're, we're talking about close personal deaths and murders and on and on, and I, 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 we don't have, it's not the fitting place to talk about it. It's horrible, though. It's just an unbelievable time of history. But those pastors, getting people out where, where, where other people can't get them out. One pastor and his wife from Odessa evacuated from combat zones over 9,000 orphan children on their own with no Western help. Well, I want to put an end to that. I don't know about you, but I can invest in people like that. Amen. Many of these pastors I've known for 30 years. One of the pastors was in Alex's wedding, was your best man. So it's not like they're you know taking chances, not like we're taking chances. So, so Jay, I want you to stand up. Come up here, young man. Uh... It fell into my heart that uh, he's, he doesn't have enough to do. <laughs> he's, he's got a family and a business and, and, a, and a church. So anybody that's doing that much needs a real job. So, uh, so I asked him to serve with me. And uh, he, he's responsible to find these teams. And uh, when we began... And I asked him to help. It was one team. 
And halfway through that team in prayer, the Lord told me, it's not one team, it's 50 teams. Now, one team's 100,000, 50 teams is 5 million. 500 men, $5 million. That's his responsibility. (laughs) What was that sermon that uh, you preached, Larry? Those that go out into deep waters and do great things for the Lord. Amen. So uh, I just want to let everybody know how much faith I have in Jay and appreciation for all that he is doing because I love him and I believe in him. And he, he's going to play that part in the kingdom of God. And we're, we're, we're going to see this thing through because people's lives depend on what we're doing right now. Why don't you stretch your hand towards Jay? Lord, we, we're blessed. We're so blessed because we're just surrounded by great people. This one, that one, we, we can turn, we could fall over in any direction and there's just great people in this room. But right now we hold up Jay before you and ask you to empower him, anoint him, protect and preserve his family from all stress and strain. and Whatever sacrifice they make, we claim the hundredfold. Those are your words, Lord, not mine. And we ask, Lord, for these five, 500 men, these 50 teams, this $5 million, for the lives that that will change in Ukraine, for the hungry that will be fed, that have gone without, for those that have no medicines, those that have no way to escape the combat zones. Lord, we thank you that we'll be, be able not, not to be uh, stalled, not to be stopped, not to be hindered, but we're, we're going to bring the gospel in all of its power into this nation. And Lord, when this war, when this wave is passed, Lord, we thank you we'll be even in a greater position to raise up leaders, to plant churches, and to spread the gospel all through the former Soviet Union. Lord, I look forward to the day when I dance on Red Square and have a party and rejoice in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Wanted to make that official. Love you. Now get her done. <laughs> Glory to God. Isn't, that, isn't the Lord good? Well, right now then, let's turn in our Bible to Mark chapter 10 before we bring these gentlemen forward and lay hands on them. We need to, re- we need to uh, honor the Lord and receive an offering this evening for the landmark expenses. There's always expenses here and there, and it's always fun also to be empowered to sow seeds into missions and into the needy. But here in Mark chapter 10, there was a young man that came to Jesus, a rich young ruler, And somewhere around verse 17, he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, verse 18, why do you call me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Are you calling me God? See, how do you get saved? You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. This young ruler was getting pretty close. He wasn't there yet, but he was getting pretty close. And uh, so then Jesus, because... He had not yet died on the cross. They were still under the old covenant. They were bound by the law. He begins to quote the law about the commandments, adultery, killing, stealing, etc., etc. Now, verse 20, this young man answered and said to Jesus, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and he said, One thing you lack, go and sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, 
and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and take up your cross and follow me. Now, Jesus did not say you got the problem is that you have too much. Somebody said, oh, this was a rich young ruler and his problem was he was rich. Jesus didn't say your problem is you got too much. He says, your problem is you ain't got enough. Look up your Webster. You'll find out what lack means. There's one thing you lack. That means you ain't got it. Amen. Don't look down your nose at rich people. You'll be looking down your nose at God. It's like some idiot asked me one time, you think Jesus would wear a Rolex? I said, well, if he ain't got one, I'll buy him one. Hello? And what, do you, what do you think, that Rolex is more expensive than that box of, of, of uh, ointment and perfume that Mary broke? I don't know how much you make in a year, but I hope it's more than a Rolex. But that was a year's salary that she broke over his feet. He didn't tell her to get away. Why? Because money's not as important to God, and God's not as uptight as people are. Now, I'm not, I'm not for selfishness. God's not for selfishness. See, the beautiful principle is if you give into the kingdom of God and there is, and there is selfishness in you, when you give, it'll pull the selfishness out. You can't keep giving and be selfish at the same time. But when you continue to give and that pulls the selfishness out, then you're a safer vessel for the Lord to bless you because you get your joy and blessing other people. Amen. We're, we're going to face some difficult times in the economy of, of the United States, but not in the economy of God. I mean, come on. I, you're going to handle gas at $5 a gallon, $6 a gallon, $7 a gallon, $8 a gallon. Well, you, you can crack if you want and go cry, or you can open your Bible to Philippians 4.19. It says, my God shall supply all your need, so long as gas doesn't go above five. <laughs> his promise still stands. Great is his faithfulness. But if you're going to use your faith to prosper, it's now. We need to get it right. We've been taught long enough. We know how to prosper. Amen. I, I mean, we, the Bible's full of examples of sowing in famine and, and reaping a hundredfold. This, this guy, his problem wasn't that he had too much. The problem was he still lacked something. And what was it that he lacked was his focus on the kingdom of God. He was rich in the economy of Israel, which means he was in the top 1% bracket. I don't know if you knew that. There was 99% was poverty, and 1% were rich. So he was the creme de la creme, right? But it wasn't his money that was the problem. It was his heart. And so verse 22, he was sad at that saying, and he went away grieved because he had great possessions. I like the translation says, because his possessions had him. Amen. See, there's certain things you might have in your life, and they have a hold on you, you need to give them and you'll experience a deliverance when you do. 
I still remember how God set me free. I had a, I had a, I've always liked watches and I had this one special watch. Guess it was a Bulova with a leather band and brass fitting. There was a day in Titusville where all the dealers put all the old stuff. It was like a, a an old day, antique day. And I walked by the jeweler's shop and here's this 1930s something watch still new in the box. And I'm like drooling on the glass. I just like watches. And so I went into the talk to the old man. He's like 900 years old. And uh, he's fun to talk to. And I said, finally, I, I talked for a little while because I'm wise, you know, about, about everything. And then finally, just so he doesn't really know what I'm up to, I said, uh, that's a nice watch in the window. Oh, yeah. And he goes telling me all about it. New in the box, you know, still has the original price on it. I said, well, how much for it? How much do you want for it? Oh, that's not for sale. No, no, no. So then you got to talk about some other things. So I talked for some a little while about some other things. After a few minutes, I come back to him and, and I said, that watch, uh, how much you want for that watch? Oh, that watch is not for sale. So then I, you know, well, you know, how's your wife doing? We talked about some other stuff. Third time I come around, I said, I really like that watch. How much you want for that watch? And he smiled at me. He said, you really like that watch? I said, I really want that watch. He said, you want to buy that watch? I said, yeah, how much for that watch? He says, oh, if you want that watch, I'll give it to you for the price that's on it and what it sold for in 1937. I mean, it was cheap, man. I'm telling you, I, I about fell over. I wanted to kiss him. That was long, long ago. That's when you could kiss somebody like that and nobody would say anything. So I walked away with that watch, and I mean, that was a looker. That's a beautiful watch. Probably shouldn't have been wearing it, but it was nice. And, and I liked that watch, and I was wearing it. And, and then one day I'm in worship in the front of the church, and we're worshiping. The Spirit of God's rolled in like fog, and I'm worshiping Jesus, and I got tears going down my face, and I, Lord, I love you, and you know, all that stuff. And I said to the Lord, Lord, everything I have is yours. And the Lord spoke to me and said, then give Bob Hawk your watch. I love you, Lord. All of a sudden, you come up short. And you realize... Everything in his. I look over at Bob. He's on the floor. Wet mess. Weeping before the Lord. Watchless. <laughs> he got a nice watch, but I got something more. Because I was the one lacking. Y'all here? You going home? That lesson will carry you through any economic crisis. Because God cares about your finances. 
You'll never lack for food in your cupboard. You'll never lack for baby formula. You'll never lack for fuel to run your trucks for your business. You will not lack in Jesus' name because you serve the Lord Jesus. Amen? So this young man, riches had him. Jesus looked around about and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God? The disciples were really happy when Jesus said this because they were dirt broke. How come they were astonished? If they were poor, they'd have cheered. I don't know if you thought of that or not. How hard shall they that have riches enter? So Jesus answered and said, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They were astonished out of measure. And they said among themselves, who then could be saved? So they didn't look at themselves as poor men. They looked at themselves as rich men. Well, of course they were rich. They're hanging around the first prosperity preacher. And it works. So Jesus looked on them and he said, with men it is, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God... All things are possible. Now here's the point I want to emphasize. Then Peter left, or then, then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, I still want that word to come back in our vocabulary. <clears throat> Lo, we have left all. Everybody say all. It's an interesting Greek word. I did a word study on it one time with my Logos Bible uh, software and looked at about 500 different Greek references. And the word all is very interesting because it means all. We've left all. That means the, the, the watch on your wrist. Everything that holds you. Everything that holds your heart back. Amen. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house. Anybody give your house away? He's, actually, he's not even saying give it away. He's saying leave it. Left house, left Colorado, left house, left Ukraine, you left your house or your brothers or your sisters or your father or your mother or your wife or your children or lands for my sake in the gospels. Why'd you leave? You run away just, just for a better opportunity? No, you left for the purpose of the gospel. He shall receive a hundredfold now. When? Now. Now. It ought to be a hundred times better for you here than in Colorado. It ought to be a hundred times better for you here than in Kiev. Well, for you, maybe a thousand times better. He'll receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses. Brethren, sisters, mothers, children, and land. Did you notice he didn't list wives? You don't get a hundred full wives. 
I don't know if I taught that in Bible school, just to make sure you boys understand, because I heard reports of you over there in Ukraine. So, uh, children and lands with persecutions, with persecutions. Bob used to teach, there's your hundredfold wives. I've been I've been excessively hard on him. I'm I'm kind of worried to give him the pulpit, but that's right. And in the world to come, eternal life. So he's not talking about sweet by and by, because he even says, "And in the world to come." No, he says, "Now in this time." When are you going to prosper? Now in this time. A lot of people emphasize giving and prosperity, but if you reread that. It's not the giving, it's the forsaking. It's not the amounts, it's the heart. You want to you wanna make it through a bad economy? Start blessing people who are having it worse than you. I'm telling you, now's the time to go to the gas pump and go over to that lady that's filling up her, her car and swipe your card. Now's the time to, 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 to do what you can and, and make sure your heart's right because you know you got a limitless, endless supply of finance because you work for a rich Jew who has a Rolex. But he doesn't wear it because he prefers a gold belt. Amen. Amen. Well, tonight we got the ushers. If you're giving in cash, raise your hand for an envelope. If you're making out a check, just make it out to Armada. And you're sowing a seed. I, I'm, I'm sowing every day a seed into this economy. Now, this economy isn't going to stop the gospel. This economy ain't slowing me down in Jesus' name. If it costs more, it just costs more. We'll pay it because he meets our needs. Amen? Uh, and by the way, I wanted to, to share this. If, if you do uh, have a time during Landmark, please fill out a visitor card so we can get your name and your address and your email. An easier way, if you'd like, is be sure to go to armadanetwork.org, our website, armadanetwork, one word, O-R-G, and simply subscribe. There's a subscribe button. Put your name and your email and your address on there. And we'll be able then to communicate with you further. I know we've got some folks that didn't get an email about the landmark, which means we didn't enter your name in. So we just want to make sure we get everybody's uh, contact details and we can keep you up to date on what the Lord's doing. Amen? So are we ready to give? Yes. Amen. Let's pray over the offering. Father, thank you, Lord, for these people and their, their heart to give. Thank you, Lord, that you prosper your people and everything that they put their hand to. We receive this seed here, but even as you say in the book of Hebrews, Lord, there you receive it. And we're not given to men, but to God. And we ask your blessing on this, that it furthers the kingdom of God. People will be saved, healed, set free and delivered in the name of Jesus Amen and amen. The ushers will wait upon the people, and the people will be obedient unto the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. 
Doing pretty good, praise the Lord, for three in the morning. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 